chapter 3 and beginning to read it at uh, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? She is winnowing barley. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before uh, one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came, let it not be known rather that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We turn again uh, to the book of Ruth, and this time to the last, the last chapter of the book of Ruth. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. 
and he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down and he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belongs to our relative Abimelech, Elimelech rather. So I, I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in this, his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take uh, my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the, the matter of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I uh, have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought uh, to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate uh, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Paris, uh, whom Tamar bore to, to Judah because of the offspring of the Lord, uh, the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So uh, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered 
Amnadab, Amnadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And we know that God indeed will bless this reading, these readings from his own word. <clears throat> if you're able to be with us this morning, it wasn't a case of teaching the, you the three R's. I think when I counted them up, there were eight R's. You know, three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And the eight R's are something quite different. You remember that we said that <clears throat> this may be a short story. This may be in a particular genre. But it's not just that, it's revelation. It's God speaking. And whereas uh, there are not the, the commands that we might find in the Ten Commandments and the tables of the law, uh, nor are there the instructions that we might find in some of Paul's epistles, uh, this still is God's word. And we have to do a wee bit of work. And maybe at times we have to do a little bit. I'm, I'm tempted to say of conjecture because not absolutely everything I'm going to say might be something that your favourite commentator might say or, or not say. And, uh, and maybe even uh, if a couple of ministers were looking at it, they might go in slightly different directions. But when you take that into consideration, it's still the word of God. Uh, it talks about the return. The turn, return, we said, from the dark paths of sin. It talks about Naomi coming back and bringing Ruth along with her. And we saw the clear testimony, the clear testimony of Ruth, of her regeneration of God working in her heart, <coughs> of her being born again, and then of her clear profession <coughs> of faith. We saw Naomi's restoration. Naomi uh, went out full of herself. She came back empty. And she said, you come back a bitter woman. And said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me uh, Mara. And then we had that very sweet bit about the relief of the poor in Israel. How God <coughs> had ordered things that those who didn't have didn't go without and uh, there's something there's something in that 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 says uh, something to our maybe lack of generosity and maybe our generosity needing to be inc increased the whole idea of gleaning and the whole idea of how the margin was left uh, in the corner of the field and how uh, we can rejoice in that and then again, we have been talking about people from the wrong side of the tracks because Ruth didn't come from the people of God. You'll remember, she was the one who, who came uh, out of the, the nation of Moab. She was a Moabitess. And they were not worshippers of the, the true God. And, but Boaz himself... Uh, if we look at it with that critical eye, didn't come without blemish either. His mother was Rahab. She was a prostitute. So we see that God, how do we express this properly? God is not picky regarding who we are and where we have come from. And the thing that keeps hammering away in my mind is 
that our churches are maybe a wee bit more picky than they should be. Not in the sense that we should be more liberal, but we should be more liberal with the gospel and who we take it to. And that's maybe an encouragement for some of you who work in places even uh, where you take the gospel. I think I mentioned uh, an Australian evangelist by the name of John Dixon. And uh, I haven't got around to watching it, but the, I, I came across a video and I, I saw about the first two or three minutes. And he said how he had been sitting in a coffee shop and he'd been talking to a fellow minister and uh, they'd been discussing how they needed to take the gospel. Uh, further than they were taking it outside the walls and to the people around them as, uh, and to look for opportunities not to sit back and say well when God sends the opportunity but actually to go and look for the opportunities and he said as, as they were talking a, a well dressed well healed lady got up from another table she went and paid and then she came over and he thought for a moment she's coming over to commend us and what we're doing. And he said that she tore into us, absolutely tore into us in our arrogance that we thought that the world needed Christ and we needed to take it. So that it is not something that we will be able to take without uh, uh, people taking us on and people uh, being on the other side and, and seeking to uh, pull us down. And then <clears throat> the last hour, for what it's worth, that I came across was this refusal of the man without a name. This refusal of this man, maybe even to be in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked after number one, and for him, number one was, no, oh, can't take on this wife. That could be trouble. Uh, I want uh, it to be the way uh, that it is. Where are we in chapter 3 and going into chapter 4? <clears throat> what about Naomi? We uh, dared to say this morning that there was such a thing as a Naomi syndrome. And if you uh, want to sit down and, and work out uh, the definition of what a Naomi syndrome is, you, you get it. You get it where Naomi went wrong in so many ways. And it's not just the geographical thing as we try to apply this. It's much more than that. It's our thoughts uh, and it's our desires. It's our careers. It's our education. It's who we like to live beside. It's who we like to befriend. It's getting uh, ourselves comfortable and getting on. Because after all, she and her husband headed off to Moab because there was famine in the land. She wanted a better existence for ourselves. But can I rehabilitate Naomi to some degree. Uh, and we have to ask the question, was Naomi sticking her nose in here when she shouldn't? Was she making something her business that wasn't her business? After all, there was Boaz, there was Ruth, just, just leave them to it. One of my heroes in the ministry is, 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 is long dead, and that's Jim Phillip, who was minister in Holyrood Abbey in Edinburgh, and he had a phenomenal outreach because the students, especially from 
Presbyterian Church in Ireland would go to Edinburgh, and invariably their education wasn't so much in New College. Their, their education was three years, sitting under his ministry morning and evening and midweek and, and, and prayer meeting on a Saturday night. And if, if you go to a Presbyterian Church ever, uh, to a prayer meeting, I think I could guarantee you I could trace its roots back to Holyrood Abbey and to Aberdeen because that influence was so great uh, on, on people. And uh, I'd listened to him on this, and I think it was 1967. He covered these in his midweeks before uh, a lot of people were born. And uh, he covered these in his midweek session. And when he got to it, Boy, he gave Naomi some tongue lashing. He did not like, I, I think he had the, the busy bodies of his congregation. And he had them in sight. And it was a congregation, a lot of students came to it. And Jim Phillip was probably 60 years of age at that time, or at least in his 50s. But he gave them a real tongue lashing. And he said they were sticking their nose in. They were trying to set up this young person and that young person. And it was none of their business. And, um, hmm. I kept thinking, no, I don't get it. I don't get it. I think Naomi was about the right thing here. He would have been saying she wasn't doing the Lord's work. She was doing her own work. Now, you can have that idea that you just do nothing and you allow it to happen and so many things in life. And uh, I'm not sure that that's how it has to be. I think it is good to encourage Christian young people, to meet all our Christian young people and to give them the odd, uh, the odd nudge in the right direction. Uh, if that is not good, I'm in trouble when I get to glory because uh, I've got involved too many times. I, I was just thinking this afternoon uh, or last summer in Carnlough, uh, <coughs> someone come back who had been on a, a mission team, an RP mission team, a few years back, and another girl came on an RP uh, mission team for the first time. And I, I maybe wasn't the first one to see that they were a match, but they were married a few weeks ago. Uh, it didn't take all that long, and there was probably a wee nudge. You know, that's not a bad idea. Go for it. And uh, there's another fine marriage. I was reminded by Matt Filbert, who runs RP Missions, that, oh, he said, sure, our last minister, they met on an RP mission team in Money Digand and, and Beaver in Belfast. And they probably got a wee nudge either by Roger Crooks uh, or myself, more, like, more likely his wife, uh, in the right direction, because they came probably separated by 2,000 miles in America. So when I think of all these things and I think of what Naomi was up to here, I think, yes, Naomi, you were doing the right thing. You have a daughter-in-law and uh, it's not just the matter of romance. It was the matter of so many different things here. Yes, economic survival, but it was the matter of a child being born, wasn't it? to carry on the godly line in Israel. And then we get to this rather curious institution of what we call levirate marriage. Uh, if we had time, we could look at that a little bit because the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were all worried about in heaven who would be married with 
to who? And uh, again, that was the idea of Levira at marriage. One man had died, and then his brother uh, took on the wife and all that sort of thing, and who were they were going to be married to, and Jesus sort of gave them short shift. If you want to look up Levira at marriage, you'll see something of it in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 25, I think it is, so you can make yourself accustomed to it there. I have, I have cousins and they're a wee bit younger than me, not massively younger than me, but they're identical twins, two girls. And over the years, there's always been a bit of fun with that. I suppose genetically, they're exactly the same, and yet they have grown a little bit different, but they are exceptionally close. They ring each other two or three times a day. I think they were even doing that before the invention of the mobile phone but they're very close one with the other. And I always tease one of their husbands because he lives closer and I meet him uh, more often, at, maybe at family things, and I would tease him. Are you, are you sure you're married to the right one? Would you not like to be married to the other one? And he says, hmm, it depends on the day and it depends on the mood. I says, let me tell you something. They're so alike, their moods are probably exactly the same as well. So, uh, but, you know, I was going to ask the men if the woman weren't uh, about, would you like to marry her sister? That's a dangerous question, isn't it? <coughs> Don't even pretend you heard it. Uh, I, I know my answers to that. And uh, I'm, I'm in the good books for that answer. Uh, but it's strange to us, isn't it, that you would have to take your sister-in-law and that you would have to marry her. And uh, very strange, but that it wasn't just an outdated custom in Israel. The whole thing is that the Lord's heritage will come down through the generations and that a family would not die out. And we see that as we get to the end of chapter 4. Because it was, what were we told? It was a son for, not just for Ruth, it was a son for Naomi. Uh, so uh, the strength of the family thing uh, was something else. What do you make here of Ruth's behavior? You know, one man writing on this uh, said this thing. He said he had a Methodist mother. And she always taught him that no good thing happens after 12 o'clock at night. Maybe you tell your sons and your daughters that. No good thing happens after 12 o'clock at night. I think it was my mother. I know it was my mother-in-law said to me, make sure you bring her home the same day as you take her out. I thought she was joking, but no, she wasn't. Uh, it was an instruction. It wasn't a suggestion. I never was very good with instructions. But no good thing happens after 12 o'clock at night. What does that say here about the goings-on? Uh, on the threshing floor, is there something uh, there that we have to pay attention to? Well, how do we begin to sort all of that out? Uh, we can say that Naomi was bad because she organized something that was, well, looked a bit shady. So we can blame her for uh, getting Ruth into a bad situation. We might go in that direction. Uh, how do you explain it? Uh, I suppose you're beginning to think that this was a case where a man had left the, the back door open. Uh, or... Uh, 
a woman had dropped the, the, the key card to the hotel room. It isn't that sort of thing uh, at all. Uh, we find that when Ruth went, yes, she lay at his feet, but it wasn't an act of seduction. I don't, don't think it had any of that in it at all. Uh, but there was a sense, I think, and there's where people may disagree. There was a sense in it, this was a man, was he in his 40s or was he in his 50s? And he was single. And my experience of men in their 40s and 50s and single, uh, it wouldn't take a woman lying at their feet. It probably would take dynamite to move them sometimes. So it's not, uh, uh, I think, an untowards thing. Uh, one, not congregations that are represented tonight, but another congregation I was in, uh, <coughs> they used to, they, we had a lot of bachelor farmers. And uh, some of the wags used to say that the reason that we had bachelor farmers was that the Department of Agriculture gave grants for many things, but it didn't give grants for marriage. So the, they weren't interested unless, uh, well, uh, something was coming. At times, I would have speculated in a different way that some of them have, had seen their sisters-in-law and they decided, no way am I going to get myself in an entanglement like that. Uh, and they remained single. I think there probably is something in Boaz here. He was a very decent man, a very godly man. But he hadn't maybe quite in the providence of God, because after all, he was waiting on the right woman coming. <coughs> he hadn't quite worked out, I think, that he was responsible for making a move. And uh, somebody lying at his feet and him waking up and getting startled in the middle of the night maybe was that per per proverbial stick of dynamite that caused him to move. I don't think I would blame over blame Naomi in it because there was an awful lot hanging on this. <clears throat> that being said, those who get involved with these things and pushing in these things need to be careful. I need to be very careful. Another congregation that I served in, uh, two families thought it was a good idea that the son and the daughter would get together. One was a believer and the other wasn't. But they seemed to get their head around that, the believing family, because after all, there was two good farms that would be united. And man was there an explosion because the daughter did a runner. Uh, the woman did the runner and, uh, the, and not much notice and the wedding was off and wedding presents had to be returned and everything else. And the interesting thing that that same girl married and she married later to a very godly man. And every time I see her, I sort of smile and say, you did the right thing in the end. Yes, you were pressured, you were pushed. That was seen as, well, sure he comes to church on a Sunday morning, everything is okay. But it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing to be involved in. So we need to be very, very careful in that. What's the use at snatching at something God is not pleased to give us? at that moment. But at the same time, sometimes, sometimes, uh, there is something very plain and maybe uh, there needs a wee push. We were looking at a worthy woman, weren't we? We are looking at a worthy woman, verse 11. 
Uh, we're looking at a woman of noble character. We're looking at a, a virtuous woman. We're looking at a man, a man who was held in the highest esteem. And that seems to be some almost miracle when you think of where he came from and who his mother was. And yet nobody was pointing the finger. There was no back biting going on at all. <clears throat> it's not something I watched, but there's a series on TV, I think at the moment, called Land Girls. Does it come on sometime after the news? And there was a, there was a little vignette in it. The, the rector got married, and he got married one, to one of the Land Girls except in the time of the Second World War. And she obviously was a colourful woman. Uh, and not and that just wasn't her lipstick. It was more than that. And there was the, the perceived righteous woman uh, in the, the, the parish. And she was venting about how he had married this... I was going to say floozy, but maybe you shouldn't say that from the pulpit. But I think that was the word she used. Those things weren't being said here. And that seems strange, doesn't it? They weren't being said because both of these people were proving to be godly and to be upstanding. So I think I wouldn't read anything on toward at all. <coughs> Other than, as I say, the proverbial stick of dynamite that Naomi said, go and lie at his feet uh, and give this boy the idea that maybe he needs to do something. Now, don't ask me to reinterpret that for you and to find what you might need to do if you're a single woman and there's a godly man. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I could point you in the direction of someone uh, and you could ask her, but uh, I'm not saying any more. Ruth and Boaz. Boaz, well... We have got, I suppose, to the last chapter and we've got to near time. Boaz was a type for Christ, a type of Christ, a kinsman redeemer. Boaz was prepared to pay the price to buy the field, uh, to redeem it, to redeem Ruth. The price had to be paid and he did it. And that's... Well, I suppose that when we get through the practicalities of the story, that's the big takeaway at the end of it, that here <clears throat> it's almost like a C.S. Lewis Narnia where he talks about witches and good witches and lions and whatever else. It's almost that sort of a thing, if that's something that you've ever looked at, <clears throat> that Boaz... Uh, represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he's in the line of the Saviour, but he's pointing forward to the coming of, of the Saviour, the one who would pay the price for our sins so that we might be forgiven. He was the, the kinsman redeemer. And if tonight we have been redeemed from our sins... It's not because we deserve it in any way. <clears throat> it's not because we have an uprightness that is our own in any way. It's because Christ 
is the one who has redeemed us from our sins and set us free. It's his love that drove him to the cross. He loved us so much that he was prepared to leave heaven and to take on human flesh and, yes, to bear our sin upon the cross, but also to live a a perfect life for our righteousness. It's because of that that we have been brought into the kingdom of God. This, yes, is a love story, but the greatest love story of all is the love of the Savior for those who despised him for his enemies. Very rarely will someone lay down a life for a friend, but Christ was the one who laid down his life for his enemies. Yes, it stops us pointing at this one and that one from across the tracks. It levels things out that there is no one who is outside the grasp of the Savior's love in that we should be taking it to them and making it plain to them. It's a love story, but it points to the greatest love story of all, the love of the Savior for sinful men and women like you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and for every blessing that comes. From that word, uh, we find a real sweetness in the story. Yes, we find uh, uh, things at the beginning of the story that show sin and show us maybe the Naomi syndrome, but we find a sweetness as we come towards the end of the story of, yes, two people falling in love, one for each other, We find, uh, Lord, a real sweetness that where life has gone wrong, even for Naomi, now she is restored and she's nursing that child on her lap and the the village is gathering around and, and rejoicing. And Lord, we find there the gospel. We find that in heaven, there's greater rejoicing over one sinner who has returned and over the 90 and 9, uh, Lord. And we ask that we would get a, a, a renewed measure of that this evening as we, as we meditate upon these things. And even as we think of this book and this story during the week, we ask, Lord, that it might bring a smile to our face and even rejoicing to our hearts. For we ask it all in the Saviour's name. Oh, man.